All right, back to Jonah. We're going to look at Jonah chapter 2 today. This is an interesting part. We're already, uh, you know, chapter 2, it's only four chapters, right? And if you look at, look at the, the verse breakdown, uh, as we finish chapter 2, we're more than halfway through the book. And so here we are, we're coming to chapter 2, and this is the first time that we see Jonah speak to God. Now, Jonah has spoken, been spoken to by God in chapter 1, but Jonah doesn't reply other than running. He's silent, he's mute, he's the, the, uh, the quiet prophet, as it were. But now we see Jonah open his mouth and begin to speak. If you weren't here last week, uh, we'll give you a brief uh, summary of what happens. God comes to Jonah and he tells him to go to Nineveh, an infamous city for their, uh, their pagan worship, uh, brutal people, ruthless people, some of the things they did, with child sacrifice. I mean, it was just nasty, the stuff that they did. And so God comes to Jonah and says, I want you to go preach the gospel. Declare God's word to them. And instead of responding in obedience like every other prophet in every other book of Scripture does, Jonah tenders his resignation. He says, I quit, and he gets on a boat and goes the opposite direction. And you think, oh, okay, well, I guess that's the end of the story. No, 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 that's just the beginning, right? Because what does God do? Jonah's peacefully sleeping in a boat. God hurls this storm. They cast lots. What's going on? All the mariners are afraid. The ship's about to capsize and break up. They figure out it's Jonah. He's running from the Lord. He confesses it. They say, what do we have to do? He said, you've got to throw me overboard. They toss him overboard. Suddenly the storm is gone. The ocean calms. Everything's still. Jonah's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. He's about to drown. And then God appoints this fish to swallow him. A lot of times, we talked about last week, we think about the fish as a punishment, as a judgment of God, but in reality, that was his salvation. That was the vehicle through which God would safely transport Jonah from the middle of the ocean where he was to the banks of Nineveh, where he called him to be. And so this is Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to its reading. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What's this chapter about? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present this idea. This chapter is about faith overcoming sight. This chapter is about Jonah, who is seemingly about to die, rise in faith to the Lord. Last week we left Jonah in the belly of the fish and we had reason to think if we hadn't heard any sermons on this before or read the book, we had reason to think we'd never hear from him again. That this is it. This is his judgment. God has tossed him over the ship. He's been eaten by a fish. End of the book. We realize it's the end of the chapter, but it's not quite the end of the book. In this chapter, God hears from Jonah because he prays And then in the next chapter, Nineveh will hear from Jonah because he preaches. Faith overcomes sight. When he prayed, he prays during affliction. Where he prays, he prays from the fish's belly. And to whom he prays, he prays to the Lord his God. And so as we think about this whole idea of faith overcoming sight, I want to look at verses 1 through 6, Jonah's situation from the perspective of sight. And then 7 through 10, his situation from the perspective of faith. But before we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about getting caught. Here Jonah has gotten caught, right? Red-handed. He tried to disobey the Lord. He went in the direction contrary to the Lord's calling, and he got busted. And so I have this question for you. When's the last time you got caught doing something? I mean, red-handed. When's the last time you were busted and there was no getting out of it. I got a couple of pictures for us to think about this morning. Here's the first one. Busted. Hey, are you eating that corn? Oh, no, not me. I'm not eating it. What about this next slide? Um, I don't know what happened. It was like this when I sat down, Mom, right? Anybody ever been there? Has that ever happened to anybody? Busted, right? Next slide. It wasn't me. It was the dog. I'm just fixing it. Oh, I love that, right? That's a good one. If you ever, as a kid, any, any met, it was my brother, it was my sister. I'm just here cleaning up. I'm trying to be a good servant, mom and dad, right? Uh, here's one. This is an embarrassing one, getting caught right here. Okay. Hey, boo, I'm working a little late tonight. Are you sure you're working late? Yeah, yeah, we're doing inventory. I think you're out with Mark again and still cheating on me. Nothing is going on. Don't you love this? Nothing's going on. We've talked about this in therapy. I can't believe you keep doubting me. I'm across the bar with my boss. Look up. Oh, don't you love that? Though? I mean, busted, red-handed, right? I just I love being a counselor, you know, because it's 100% confidentiality. I try to convince people of this. Sometimes they believe me. A lot of times they don't. And so they don't tell me the whole truth. And, you know, nothing. I just love this. I can't believe you keep doubting me. Well, of course I'm doubting you. I'm looking across the table and I see you doing it. Good gracious. When is the last time we were caught doing something? How does faith overcome sight? I want to talk about a little the power of perspective. How we look at situations in life impacts our ability to navigate those. Next slide. I think this is an interesting illustration. Everybody ever toss their kid up? All right, so here we go. As the father sees it, you know, just, he's just barely going by. He's almost in my hands the whole time. As the child sees it, oh my goodness, this is like a, an amusement ride at uh, Six Flags or Disney World, right? As the mother sees it, my child is about to die, and it's my husband's fault, that idiot. Right? 
perspective. Where's the truth? I don't know, somewhere in the middle, all right? I don't know where it is. But the way we look at the situations that we face in life has a powerful impact on how we navigate those. Um, couple of, uh, couple of slides. Next slide. Power of perspective. I love these. Anybody ever seen these? Anybody know what these are? 3D pictures. So, can, has any, raise your hand if you've done this before. All right, the rest of you are out of luck. I don't know if you'll be able to do it here, but if you look at this picture, and you look at it a certain way, and you kind of let your eyes go lazy, you don't really focus on it, you try to look through the picture, there's this whole technique they'll teach you, you know, first, if it's on a piece of paper, you get it right here, and then you kind of zoom in and zoom out, and you try to get real close, and almost go cross-eyed and everything, but can anybody see Saturn in this? See, anybody else? Raise your hand if you see Saturn. All right, the rest of you, you can't see Saturn? Well, let's try a different one. Okay, now this is one. I believe, I believe this is, is this the dinosaur one? I would, I would look at it, but then I'd get cross-eyed. Yeah, this is a dinosaur. Right in the middle, there's a dinosaur. Again, if you look at it, try to let your eyes go a little hazy, look through the picture, and then as you're looking through the picture, almost with your peripheral vision, kind of scan around, and sometimes you'll find a little... Uh, uh, a little line or something, and then it's amazing what happens. If you've experienced, does anybody see the, the, the dinosaur? Raise your hand if you see the dinosaur. One, two, three. If you see it, then suddenly this picture pops, and it's like suddenly this dinosaur jumps out of this picture in a 3D way. It's amazing the perspective shift. One more. We'll look at this last one. This one's a heart. And right in the middle, there's this 3D heart. So if you kind of, again, try to look through it, you'll see this heart. Now, as you're looking at this, if you can't see it, don't feel bad. You can go home and Google it and uh, look at them. But I'm telling you, when this first happened, it's like one of these epiphanies. It's like an aha moment. The first time, I can still remember the first time they had a, a setup of this in the mall. And they were calling us over there, and it was like me and my two brothers. And they're like, look at this. Look at and I was, I was thinking, this is, this, is, this is not true. This is, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something I can't say in public. This is a lie. This is a gimmick, right? This is not real because my brothers and I, we were sitting there, we were doing everything they said and nothing was happening. And then finally, it clicked, it popped out, and I could see it. It was a dolphin. And man, I'm going to tell you, my world changed. It was unbelievable. Then my, my youngest brother saw it. And he was just like, oh my goodness. And we were celebrating and we were, we were so joyful together. And then we stayed, I'm not kidding you, for another hour and a half for my middle brother, John, to try to see these things. And we looked at picture after picture. He never could see it, never could see it. I'm, I'm not kidding. We were there for like two hours total. And then finally we realized he, had, he suffered from what's called a lazy eye. Anybody heard of that? Had a lazy eye. When he was a kid, one of the eyes didn't see quite as well as the other one, so he had to wear a patch for a long time. But it never was quite 100%. And because he had this lazy eye, he, he, the, the, the 3D dimensions were lost to him and he couldn't see it. And so my youngest brother and I took great delight in knowing that there would be something of life that we could cherish and enjoy forever that he would never be able to be a part of. You know, <laughs> it was just wonderful. It was one of those things you just never forget. The power of perspective. All right, we'll jump down into uh, uh, the next slide. So the perspective here, how is Jonah going to see this? Jonah gets thrown off the ship into the sea and he is drowning in the midst of the sea. From all outward appearances, he is in significant trouble. 
And so as we think about these six verses, I want us to, to realize we're going to face hardships. We're going to face difficulties. How are you going to interpret those? Are you going to see them as coming from the hand of a sovereign God who loves you and is for His glory and for your good, even if you don't understand how that's going to happen? Or are you going to see it as some kind of cosmic trick, some kind of fatalistic view of hopelessness or whatnot? I want to say the way we look at things has a tremendous impact upon how we deal with those. And so as we look at how Jonah deals with this in verses 1 through 6, we're going to see it from the perspective of faith. I want, faith, I want you to see that he and we are going to face external hardships. We're going, to, we're going to experience difficulties in life. I want you to see that we're going to face dark periods in our walk with the Lord. If we're Christians, some of you may be people who are coming, you're exploring Christianity, you haven't embraced Christ by faith as He's offered in the Gospel, but you're curious, you're wondering, that's fine. This part I want to talk to Christians about and say, look, if you've embraced Christ, if you're walking in communion and fellowship and relationship with Him, there are going to be times that are hard in your relationship with God. It's like any other relationship. You're going to have periods of great intimacy and goosebumps and warm feelings, and then you're going to have periods where you feel like, oh my gosh, He's forgotten about me. Oh my heavens, He's abandoned me. There are going to be difficult hardships that you will face. And then in verses 4 through 6, we'll see that we'll also face some internal depression. External hardships, difficulties with the walk with God, internal depressions. As human beings, we're going to face these things. How do we navigate it? How do we walk through it? Well, let's jump in and look at how Jonah does it. In verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I think it's interesting, isn't it? He calls out of his distress. Again, first time we see Jonah talking to the Lord. And what was it that precipitated him talking to the Lord? A life or death experience, right? What finally brings Jonah to speak to the Lord is hitting rock bottom, as it were. And he finally realizes that everything is on the line and I have to die to my pride I have to die to my own will and I have to go to the Lord and I have to seek His face. And that is what gets Jonah's attention. Distress and affliction of absolute extremity. And as he walks through this, he says, from the depths of the grave I called for help. Notice from his perspective, he's a dead man. He's crying out from the depths of the grave. He's already been buried He is in the ground, and he's crying out to the Lord. And he says, you listened to my cry. I love how here in verse 2, we've we've seen him in rebellion. We've seen him thumb his nose at the Lord. And yet as soon as he prays to the Lord, what does he say? The Lord answered me, and the Lord listened to my cry. What an encouragement, right? There's a hymn that we sing sometimes, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. But I think there's an element there that that we're all like Jonah in this sense. We're prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God that we love. Yes, I love you, Lord, but I'm still, I recognize, I have enough self-awareness to say that sometimes I'm prone to walk away from you. Even though I love you, even though I'm committed to you, if it weren't from your if it weren't for your grace calling me back, wooing me back as he does here with Jonah, I would be in some serious trouble. 
But God, you answered me. God, you listened to my cry. And I just, by way of application, want to encourage you. I don't know where you guys are individually in your walk with the Lord. Some of you may be in tight-knit fellowship and in harmony with the Lord. Some of you may be running right now. You may be coming to church, but you may be running a thousand miles away in your mind and in your heart from the Lord. Yes, I'm coming to church. Yes, I'm saying my prayers. Yes, I'm giving my tithes, but I'm running. And if you are, I want to encourage you. Sometimes when we run away, we have these thoughts in our minds. It's too late. I've gone too far. The Lord will never have me back. I've done too much. And I think God's encouragement to us in this chapter and in this verse, verse 2, is that as soon as we respond to Him in repentance and in faith, He listens and He answers. That that encourages me. I don't know about you, but to know that we've never gone too far, we've never run too fast, there's nothing that you can or would ever do so that if you came to Him in repentance, He wouldn't hear you and He wouldn't answer you. Amen? God loves His children. And so we see that we're going to face these external hardships, but notice we're also going to face dark periods in our walk with the Lord. Look what He says in verse 3. You hurled me into the deep. Into the very heart of the seas, the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. My question to you is, who threw him into the ocean? Who hurled him into the deep? Does anybody remember from last week? Who hurled him? Somebody tell me. The sailors. The sailors, the mariners, right? So is Scripture wrong? Oh, we say we trust in Scripture, but this is, you know, reporting uh, historical facts in error. Jonah really didn't get through. No, of course not. We can trust the Word. We can trust God's revealed revelation. What is Jonah telling us here? He's saying, look, I'm looking beyond the hands of the mariners. I'm looking beyond the human agency involved in my judgment, and I see that it is coming directly from the sovereign hand of God. It wasn't the mariners that sealed my fate. It was Yahweh. The God who sits on a throne in heaven. He ultimately is the one who hurled me into the deep. Now, that, I don't know about you. That's kind of, I think about that and that's kind of scary. That makes my, my little, little heart flutter, right? Thinking about, man, the judgment that we face, the ju- you know, God put his judgment upon Jonah. He will put his judgment on us at times to curb, to correct. As a loving father, we get our spankings, right, in life. And when that happens, we've got to see that doesn't come from an angry or vindictive boss. Doesn't come from an angry or vindictive spouse. That would never happen anyway, of course, because we've all been to art of marriage, right? It doesn't come from here, there, or anywhere else. It comes to us from the sovereign hand of Almighty God. And Jonah says, as we peel the layers of this onion back, almost like David, I almost hear this echo in my mind, against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord, and done what is evil and wicked in your sight. And so Jonah, he says, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. I don't have the relationship with God that I had before this happened. I've been hurled into the sea, the very heart of the seas. The currents are swirling about me. The waves and breakers are sweeping over me. And see, what happens usually as external hardships, maybe a 
not walking with the Lord the way we ought to walk, what does that lead to? It leads to internal depression, I think, a lot of times. And I think we see Jonah wrestling with that some. You'll see, uh, you'll see a slide from that. Um, I came across this just doing you know, a search to, to kind of give us some things to, to vis- visualize as we're talking. And I don't know, but uh, this, quote, this quote really hit me. I don't, I don't know if y'all have ever heard it before, but, uh, and then suddenly I became sad for no reason at all. And I saw those things, if you do just a Google image uh, search on depression, you see that quote coming up everywhere. And all these really, I tried to pick one that wasn't horrible, but really sad pictures. Um, and I just thought, hey, man, can you imagine just waking up one day and you're sad and you, you don't know why? You don't know why it happened. You don't know how to fix it. You're just, you're stuck. And it breathes this sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And I, I think Jonah was there. Look at what he says in verse 4. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. God has kicked me out. God has ostracized me. Think about Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I don't know about you. That's what jumps into my mind. But I've been banished from your sight. But notice how he responds to this. Again, we see faith rearing its head faith overcoming sight notice what he says yet i will look again toward your holy temple god you may be finished with me he's saying but i'm not finished with you we see the spark of faith and again i think that's the gift of god in jonah drawing and wooing jonah back to himself there is this dispiriting influence upon jonah as he says i've been banished from your sight Such was his impression. Such was his despondency. Such was the almost absolute despair that hit Jonah. And you think about it, for a prophet, well, for any of us, but especially a prophet of God, what could be harder? What could be more dreadful than to be cast out from the presence of the Lord? It's frightening, isn't it? It's hurtful to think about having to process that and to go through that on a level. And so, I'm reminded of that Scripture verse, and many of you may know it. It talks about how, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. But away from your presence, there is nothing. And so how many of us as Christians, if, if we're walking with the Lord, can, can say yay and amen to that idea that in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. And I think that's the secret to overcoming depression. It's getting beyond the external situation and circumstances. And it's getting back to that relationship. And it's realizing that, Lord, I know you may call me to places I don't want to go. I know you may ask me to do things that I don't want to do. And so what happens in our minds is we think that what's going to bring me joy, what's going to bring me happiness, is living a life according to my will. If I can just do what I want to do, I'll be happy. If I can just do what I want to do when I want to do it, then I'll be happy. And I'm here to tell you today that that is a lie from the pit of hell. God's greatest judgment is reserved for those people. And He says, look, you want to rebel against me? You want to pursue your own life? Fine. Have at it. 
and he withdraws all of his restraining grace. That's the worst judgment, I think, that can fall upon a person. That's what happens with judges. You see this endless cycle of, of bad king and bad king, and, and things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and almost the epitaph on the tombstone of Israel during that time was, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When a society and a culture gets to the point that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, the society is dead as we know it. It's chaos. And so what we have to do is we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? We have to say, no, 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 no. That's not true. Me getting what I want is not going to make me a joyful person. Me getting what I want when I want is not going to make me a joyful person. What's going to make me a joyful person is being in the presence of the Lord. And if I'm in the presence of the Lord, no matter what external circumstances I face, I'm going to have joy. And if I'm not in the presence of the Lord, then no matter what wonderful situation rears its head, I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to wake up and suddenly be sad for no reason at all. May God give us the wisdom and the grace to learn from Jonah's predicament. So that is the perspective from sight. What about the perspective from faith? We see this in verses 7 through 10. Here we see Jonah's faith triumphing, triumphing over the sense of sight. And that, we have to be reminded, is a gift of God. It's not His own. So we'll look at the next slide and we'll see how faith leads Jonah and faith should lead us to prayer. I love this quote. Faith and prayer are the vitamins of the soul. Man cannot live in health without them. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? You can't live a healthy life if you don't have these two vitamins. Faith and prayer. If you've got some kind of deficiency in one of these areas, I don't know about you, some people may be diagnosed at times with like a vitamin C deficiency or something like that, or some other important vitamin in your life, and, and suddenly you don't have any energy. It could be a thousand different things, but God is telling us without faith and without prayer, we're not going to live the vibrant Christian lives that we should live. And so we see Jonah coming to this realization, I think, in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, he said, I remembered you, Lord. Now again, notice we talked about this last, last week. Notice how Lord is, is uh, written in your Bibles, all caps, right? Yahweh. He's using the personal covenant name of the God of Israel. It's not some kind of abstract name. It's not some kind of big name. It's not you know, Him saying, O Lord, the Almighty Creator. It's Him saying, Jesus. Right? It's him saying the covenant name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. I remembered you, Yahweh, and my prayer rose to you toward your holy temple. He, in the midst of his crisis, remembers God and he turns to God in prayer and he sends his prayer to the temple of the Lord. Though he feels like God's presence has been withdrawn, he now moves towards the temple in that metaphorical sense to pursue the Lord. He had not given up. He still maintained that the Lord was God. His affliction constrained him to pray. The coldness and the distance of his heart, I would argue, are beginning to melt away. As he re-engages and reinitiates a relationship with the Lord. 
He confesses his faults and he flees to the Lord. Notice, it uh, doesn't just lead us to prayer, but also leads us to worship. And I think these two are, are kind of intrinsically connection, uh, connected, worship and prayer. But notice what he says in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Interesting, isn't it? I don't know. You know, again, this by way of application, if you're here this morning and you you haven't really bought into the Christian thing again. You're, you're wrestling, you're examining the truth claims of Christ. You're clinging, as it were, to these idols. I want to say from God's Word that there is grace that could be yours for the asking. There's grace that could be yours for the taking, and you wittingly or unwittingly are forsaking that. Don't refuse the gift. And then he says, What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I think it's a beautiful illustration that he ends up by proclaiming that salvation belongs to Yahweh. And I think he's speaking in a very general sense. Yes, his salvation belongs to Yahweh. It is through God's grace and mercy that this great fish has come and swallowed him and has kept him from drowning this vessel of salvation. And yet I think he's speaking even beyond that to say that everyone's salvation belongs to the Lord. A glorious and a rich exclamation. Even though Jonah at this moment is still shut up in the silence and in the darkness, yet he offers this sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And then... We see in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. And Dell will tell us where that dry land was and what happens next in the story. But in response to Jonah speaking to him, God then speaks to the fish and commands the fish to spit out his prophet. Faith, I would argue, Jonah's faith given by God corrected and controlled Jonah's fears and his distrust. What are we going to do with our fears? What are we going to do with our distrust? Will God give us the grace to come before Him in prayer, to come before Him in worship, to cling to the promise that one day in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, to know that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy, and will He enable us and our faith to overcome our sight. How will we shift our perspective as we look at the hardships and the difficulties that we may be called to face? Jonah believed. He did not perceive. He didn't argue. He didn't fuss. He believed the Word of the Lord. I like what Casey had talked about today. As we look at Jonah and as we think about this amazing story, she mentioned earlier that now is the time to call out to the Lord. Here we see Jonah in chapter 2 in chaos and in crisis calling out to the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, you may be a seasoned believer and you've spent 
you know, decades with the Lord. You may be a young believer and you're just getting to know the Lord. You may come here this morning and you've never embraced Christ as He's offered in the Gospel and you don't know the Lord, but I would call upon you, no matter where you are in your journey with the Lord, to see today as that opportunity for salvation or for sanctification. Either way, today is the day of salvation. Today is your day to call out upon the name of the Lord. We sang Amazing Grace, and I just I thought it was so fitting to reflect on that from, from our story, maybe from the story of John the prophet. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I bet Jonah feels like a wretch, even though he's a prophet. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. May God give us the eyes of faith to look at life from His perspective. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank You so much that salvation belongs to You, not to us. We know that if it were in our hands, we would drop it, we would fumble it, we would lose it immediately, and, and yet we know that our lives and our futures are not in our hands, and we praise the Lord for that, but they're in Your hands. And sometimes that's hard because You call us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. You call us to go places that we wouldn't normally go. You call us to serve and minister to people that we wouldn't normally serve and minister to. But we know that as we do that in faith, in fellowship with You and with your body of believers, that that will be what brings us joy and that will be what lifts us from the depths of depression. And so, Lord, deal with our hearts and souls this morning. Help us to see You. Help us to follow You. Help us to worship You. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.